0: Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like, then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition, tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to SIVO Sisters. Welcome back, y'all, to Sivo Sisters, where we demystify and diversify the field of anesthesiology all within the duration of an anesthesia break. And this week, we will have a conversation with Dr. Stephen Bradley, an anesthesiologist and intensivist who has his hands in many pots. And we'll discuss the power of being an oddball, how to stay focused in the midst of an obstacle, and the wonders of serendipity, how to work with it, not against it. Please enjoy. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Dr. Stephen Bradley. Now, if that name is familiar to you, you may have listened to his podcast called the Black Doctors Podcast, or perhaps you've worked with him in the operating room or the intensive care unit, because he is an anesthesiologist and an intensivist. Maybe you got a consult from him, an ethics consult, (laughs) because he has that training as well. Maybe you've interfaced with him in the military capacity because he has that background. He has a YouTube channel. Uh, he's on Twitter, very involved in social media, as well as the National Medical Association, the Evelyn E. Henley Society. Uh, he just came from the ASA, and uh, he also came from the Chess Conference. So he's very active, involved, have a diverse talents. I'm so interested in hearing. How did we get to this place where you are doing all these things? <laughs> what was the nexus? Because I think that for many folks, you know, they see this beautiful bio and they're just like, man, I, I couldn't, I could never do that. He's just superhuman right? <laughs> so how did it start for you? How did you get interested in medicine and anesthesiology? And then these diverse areas where you're doing ethics and you are you got involved with the military. Another piece I also want us to discuss is how anesthesiologists were mainly introverts. You no, know, We move <laughs> in our head. We have yeah. all this dialogue going on in our head. And I think one of the biggest obstacles we have to overcome is how do you speak out? How did you get yourself put yourself out there where you have a blog, a YouTube channel, a presence on social media? How did you do it? By all means, let's start from the beginning.
1: Awesome! I'm so <laughs> excited to be here, Dr. Peterson. Nice to officially meet you. We met very briefly at, at the conference. And it was just so such a great time, like you mentioned, to, to reconnect with so many people. One, if you ask my wife, I am most definitely not. Superhuman. Absolutely, we can dispel that myth off the bat. I am obsessed with the journey of life and I like just having different experiences, just seeing what all life has to offer. I really got to this point step by step. I started out in with music, and that was because my parents forced me to take music lessons. My parents came from very humble beginnings, single-parent homes, worked their way through college and wanted to give us the life that they didn't have growing up. Part of that was music lessons, and I was forced to. Take piano lessons, I, and I hated it. And it wasn't until maybe high school that it kind of turned around. My piano teacher, Miss Paoletti, said, You're starting to become a teenager. Girls love boys that play instruments. It was just that I was like, Okay, that clicked. So then I started to like music. So yeah, I went to college to become a music minister with the goal of going into the military because my dad was a naval officer. That's what I grew up with, moving around the country, seeing him come in in his uniform, visiting him at his base on his different ships. That was my pathway into the military. It wasn't until my freshman year of college where I was actually exposed to healthcare. And my exposure was through working construction. If you talk to my wife, she's like, oh, you must be Jamaican because you have like 12 different jobs. <laughs> no offense <laughs> to my Jamaican brethren. I was working at a hospital, Shands Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. I was doing high voltage electrical work as like an electrician's helper, getting there early in the morning. And that was my first exposure to seeing the doctors and the nurses, basically just people in scrubs. I didn't know what they were coming into the hospital. And I was already at work for about an hour. That's probably my first break when I'd see them come in in nice cars. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. And so after that exposure, I sat down, looked at options, and that's when I switched into medicine. So so no exposure to the field growing up, even though you know both my parents were college educated and were very influential and and supportive. It just took that one experience to kind of guide me towards medicine.
0: Wow. So when you talk about your music, is that what broke the ice for you when it came to performing in front of audiences and and putting yourself out there in that way is through music?
1: Yeah. Looking back, I I think it was because you had to have uh, recitals a couple times a year, Christmas recital, or we'd get together with the other students and we'd all you know, memorize or play a piece. For me, I'm actually very much an introvert. I don't like being out and loud and about. Having an instrument, I get to hide behind that piano. You hear the, the music coming from the piano, you're not focused on me. You're listening. There's a whole object there for you to look at. The reason I ultimately switched uh, from a music major was I had to take voice lessons. One, I have a terrible fear of singing in public because there is no instrument to hide behind. It's just you, your voice, everybody staring. That was also a part of me switching. Hey, this isn't for me. Yes, having something to hide behind is my crutch. Even with podcasting, I can hide behind my guests that come on my show.
0: (laughs) You're getting your voice out there, right? And w- however, you're making an impact and a difference, which we all appreciate. You mentioned you, your dad influenced you regarding the military, but then you had this construction job. When you were watching them, you said, huh, I must be doing something wrong. What was it that you observed?
1: Yeah, the the work that I was doing was incredibly physical. As an electrician's helper at Shan's Hospital, I worked in the sub-basement, which is when you go down to the bowels of the hospital there's going to be a basement that has all of the electrical transformers and all of the equipment and gear. And then I would put on waiters and then you'd lift up a grate in the floor and I would crawl down this ladder into muddy water. There's like blue and oh, red crawfish no. down there. And I would run electrical conduit. And you know, I would get to work. We start up about five o'clock in the morning and I was doing 12 or 14 hour days and filthy. And I enjoy working with my hands, but seeing other people come into work nice and clean and refreshed mm-hmm. and Working in air conditioning, I was like, "Huh, maybe there's something, something to that."
0: That makes perfect sense. Now I, now I see it. Now <laughs> I can see how you got that change in perspective. Interestingly enough, because you know you could have worked construction at, at any kind of different place, right? Like an office building it could have been a, a legal team, accounting firm. It could have been anything, and and yet it happened to be medicine that you're like a five thousand foot view of these people, right? Like you yeah. don't have a sense of what it is they do, so there must've been something else you saw maybe that made you say, hey, let's shift to medicine.
1: I've been, I had a buddy who was also a music major. His parents were both physicians. And as he was, we were coming out of our second semester of freshman year, he was switching to pre-med. And again, I was a music major at the time. I was a solid B student. I've been a B student my entire life. If I practiced my music, I'd make a B plus. If I didn't practice, I'd make a B, B minus, I really wasn't doing anything. I was just playing some music, getting grades. And when he switched to pre-med, I said, Wow, like, why would you do that? That's a lot of work. That kind of hit me, the thing that I said, like I'm here in college and my parents have sacrificed so hard and I'm working my way through school. I should be here to to challenge myself. And so all of these things had happen together. I said, you know what's more challenging than a career in medicine? I looked at nursing, I looked at, Uh, physical therapy. And I looked at, you know, what I need to do to get into medical school. This is just me, you know, looking it up on that ancient version of the internet we had back in 2005 or 2006. I didn't jump all the way in. I'm a person that usually has a backup plan. So I became a pre-physical therapy major. And I saw that the prereqs would be the same prereqs for medical school. So I had a plan B, say, Hey, if this is too hard, I'm not smart enough, or, you know, this doesn't work out. Or maybe I just love physical therapy, I can stop here. Or if I don't like physical therapy because grades are okay, maybe I can continue on to medical school.
0: So interesting, too, because as I'm hearing you speak, I can see the building blocks of an anesthesiologist in the (laughs) making, right? Working with your hands, not afraid to get them dirty, wanting to be behind the scenes, (laughs) Yeah. And then you having your backup plans. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I see hindsight's 2020, but it's really cool to see how this is unfolding. You I imagine shadowed a physical therapist.
1: Shadowed at the Andrews Institute with Dr. James Andrews. which is a he's a renowned orthopedic surgeon. I didn't really know that, but it was pretty cool. I was with the physical therapist and I would kind of see they had these really cool operating rooms with frosted glass, and you could unfrost them and, and watch some surgeries. I didn't do too much of that. But then I was like, hey, medicine's for me. I want to be an orthopedic surgeon just because that's what I saw. And mind you, like this came up later when I got to Howard. And I didn't really understand much about medical specialties. I didn't really know what residency was or how to get there. I just knew I saw an orthopedic surgeon. I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. And then I get to Howard and I meet the folks that want to do ortho. And I realize I am already behind. Mm -hmm. And this isn't for me like if I had to sacrifice that much and study that hard right now to get those grades, like I, I wasn't ready to go all in. And I was very intimidated and very overwhelmed. It's kind of lost for the first two, almost three years of medical school. It was like, I don't know what specialty I want to go into. I, I quick, quickly ruled out ortho. But then I was just kind of in a quandary and, and drifting around uh, trying to figure out where I belonged.
0: Help orient is here. So when you, you went to the physical therapy, you became inspired to be a physician. And at that point, yeah. you said orthopedics. So you went to Howard for medical school mm-hmm. and you saw what ortho entailed. When you said you were already behind, in what way?
1: I hadn't even met like the ortho surgeons. This was all my peers. You know, it's such a cutthroat uh, experience to get the grades and the research to apply to ortho. And all I saw was my. First year medical student classmates that were already doing all of the things, and I'm like, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. So that was a very off putting thing to follow theirs. That's where I was in my life. I'm like, I could never do those things, and that's not. I'm incapable un- of of excelling to that degree. Why should I even try? Some of the things I struggle with, medical school. I think we deal with. You know, some people label it as imposter syndrome, but some of it's just just being human. We all look so confident on the outside. And on the inside, a lot of us are actually like a lot less confident than than we appear. And I just allowed that to kind of get the better of me.
0: Outside looking in, that's certainly one aspect of it. Or it could be that maybe you were like, you know, I don't like this enough to work that hard for it. <laughs> like, yeah. that's yeah. going to cool to do, but I don't think I want to do all of that. You could have probably seen the trade-off might not have been worth it. So here you are, right? You you wanted to be orthopedic surgeon going into medical school. You're at Howard. And you're like, what It that's not, doesn't look like that's what I'm going to do. So how did you navigate that nebulous place of what am I going to do now?
1: I had some fantastic classmates. That was the benefit of being at Howard. They were very supportive as I was lost. I was like, at least I can just keep studying and keep making these grades and figure it out. And so I truly went to third year just for the experience, you know, quickly ruled out you know, pediatric. That's not for me. OB, eh, maybe mm, no. Then I got into surgery. And Howard, you know, it's a very surgery-heavy institution. I really fell in love with the surgical ICU. And I tell everybody, Dr. Wendy Green was one of the surgical intensivists. We had a long talk one day in the OR. I realized, like, I don't like operating. I was holding the camera for her in a lap colon. I was like, oh God, I can't do this the rest of my life. And we talked and she was very supportive. And she wasn't like, oh, surgery is the only way. She said, hey, if you want to do critical care, you can do it through internal medicine, through surgery, through anesthesia. And now I had another buddy, Brandon, who was, he kind of knew the ropes, knew the game. He was like, oh, anesthesia is an awesome specialty. You get to sit down during surgery. They get paid well. You wear scrubs. It was as simple as those two things catching in my head. Like, well, Brandon likes it. And Dr. Green said you can do critical care. And then the third thing was the ASA conference happened to be in DC that year. So I was able to quickly sign up with like a a month's notice and walk down to the conference and actually part of that. And that's the first time I met my future program director at University of Chicago.
0: Oh my gosh, that is incredible to grasp how serendipity worked. Through lines, I have noticed you made the decision of going pre-med, your roommate or your friend was doing pre-med and it's confirmed for you what you wanted for yourself. And now here we are where this attending whom you admire mentions anesthesia and then your buddy- already had laid the seed, right? <laughs> Talking about anesthesia. And then the conference happens at the same time. Love how you you have this reinforcement. And I hope that other people pay attention in their lives when a certain theme is being reinforced to really investigate that and probe it. Because you took advantage of it by going to this conference. And then you met your program director. So like, what happened at this conference? Like, how did you, did you navigate the conference being a medical student? Because that's very intimidating for many people.
1: Yeah, I, I don't even know. I just walked around and right. looked at stuff. And I'm, like, oh, this is my first conference. This is pretty cool. And I took some pictures with my, my classmates. I always say, I'll choose a plan B and then wait for a plan A. So I had anesthesia as a plan B, went to the conference, started making some connections uh, with Dr. Holiday, who was at Howard, like starting to do the work of applying to anesthesia, but I had the slot A open for whatever could still spark my interest. Anesthesia moved from the B spot up to the A spot. And here we are today.
0: Right. Right. Can you illustrate that moment where anesthesia moved from B to A?
1: It was, the time was getting short. I'm like, oh boy, I got to pick something because fourth year is around the corner. I got to start doing this applications process. And so I started to apply, but it was when I did my fourth year sub-I at Howard in the surgical ICU. I remember being down there just in the trenches. I was working hard. It was complicated. I was starting to gain the trust of some of my attendings. Dr. Cormo will walk through Dr. Saram. To the, to the detriment, I actually made the poor decision of taking my step two while I was in the, the surgical ICU. Everybody's like, don't do that. Don't, I said, like, I'm the type of person that I will take your advice, but I still have to do things my way. Yeah. I said, I, I accept that. This is probably a bad idea. This is how it's working out for me. I took it. I did horribly. So that's something I had to overcome in the interview process. But that just being in the surgical ICU, I felt like that this is for me, I'm making the right decision. And then I had a, a resurgence of that when I became a CA1 because for anesthesia, you really don't get a good experience, in my opinion, when you're navigating a sub eye or when you're in the OR. It's when you're a CA1 and you have a patient on the table and now it's your responsibility because it seems like a gamble to wait till that long in the process, but that's when it like, okay, you are in the right spot.
0: Yeah, definitely. When you mentioned taking step two and, and then not doing well with that, a lot of people, when they do poorly on an exam, I mean, it feel like, oh my gosh, what did you do to say, okay, well, you know, during interviews, I'll explain this, but we're going to keep moving forward. Share with us those mental tricks that you did <laughs> to get that year.
1: Oh, there, there is no. Tr- I was struggling. Um, I took this the test kind of mid middle of interview season. So it didn't need to be and this is back when you know step one you got a score so my score was like just a smidge below average for for matching and then my step two score was quite a bit lower i didn't have to disclose it for the first like handful of interviews and then went on to my my it kind of published and updated it in my applications and then i would just say yeah i took it during my sicu rotation um, I also had some some family health issues. My grandmother had a stroke. It was ironically like as I was staring at a patient that had a hemorrhagic stroke in the surgical ICU. My mom had called me was like, "Oh, your your grandma had a stroke." But explaining the circumstances behind score, they're like, "Oh, you're in the surgical ICU." That was very anxiety provoking, very nerve wracking. Is this poor decision going to wreck my chance of matching an anesthesia? And thankfully, I think I interviewed well. I have the most ridiculous like CV and application story. I'm just an oddball. Like you you read my story like, who is this weirdo? We got to meet him and talk to him. So I think that worked out for me.
0: Nice. So a few of the gems I got from that, the key is really to contextualize what the test score is because we're all human. Mm -hmm. And I mean, anyone hearing that would would be able to be like, okay, wow, you know, that it, this makes sense. And it doesn't in any way speak to your aptitude or your abilities to succeed as an anesthesiologist. And then another piece was just, you mentioned diversity. So tell us more about your oddball things.
1: Yeah. You know, and parts. So you, you have to play the game and leverage some things, whether you're a medical student, like, especially the, they're talking about the it factor, what sets you apart from everybody, because everybody can have great scores and all that. And then obviously, you know, there's, there's issues with diversity and the Supreme Court decision, and, and that is very complicated. So, for me, the things that help you stand out in medical school applications, residency, playing an instrument, the leadership experience, I was wanting to go into the military. So, that was very prominent in my application paperwork. And if you're a conservative leaning white male in America, Chances are you love the military. So I did use that to my advantage. The different jobs that I had, because I know when I read people's CVs and I have a lot of medical students that look over and either review or do a mock interview, I'm looking for something that's interesting. And that's usually what came out of in the interviews. Step one was good. Step two was okay. But from the personality, and they're like, oh, he works really hard. This guy did construction. I think a lot of people are really looking for people that are willing to work.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, hard work beats. Um, someone who thinks they know it all any day, every day of the week. You're sharing with us how you navigated the interview process, which is perfect, especially very timely too,
1: since <laughs> you yeah.
0: are uh, applying. So we really appreciate that. When it came down to matching, because it's one thing for people to smile in your face and everything looks great and sounds good, but then you end up falling to whatever on the list. Did your internal compass align with what the match? results ended up being
1: it did That's my number one it seems almost as insensitive as you know is the saddest thing amongst fourth year medical students but looking back once again that serendipity or or faith or life will lead you to where you go i try to lean into that more so than pushing away
0: too often in our medical journey We look around and see what everybody else is doing and aim to look like everyone else. In medical school, you don't want to stand out because that looks bad. But as you advance in your professional career, you want to stand out. You want to be different. You want to be memorable. Dr. Stephen Bradley showed us the unique aspects of his career that only enhanced his practice, his time in construction, hard work. It's not glamorous, but it's a part of a story and it just illustrates his work ethic. What is it that you do or what is it a part of your journey that you've probably dismissed because it's like, well, nobody else has this. That's something you want to amplify. No one else has this. So be unique, be bold, and don't be afraid to show those aspects that are different. When he didn't get the score that he wanted, he kept moving on. And this was a quote from Roosevelt. If you're in the middle of hell, just keep going. One foot in front of the other. And finally, the role of serendipity. He paid attention to the repetition in his life and probed it. Anesthesiology was mentioned more than a few times. He probed it. He was curious and it paid off. What are some recurring themes that you notice in your life? What are some things that are repeated to you over and over where people say you're good at it, or you should look into this, or they're doing this, and you've always were curious about it, but you keep forgetting to pursue it, and now this person brings it up again. What are those moments for you? Look into that. That is the universe most likely sending you a message. I hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Dr. Stephen Bradley, and he will be back next week to share more of his very interesting journey. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something-something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.